What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Infinity Sports. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Sully. Hey. And we have a special guest on today, uh, Kevin Schwinnard, who writes for NBA.com for the Atlanta Hawks and has his own podcast as well, the ATL and 29. Thanks for uh, joining us, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate you being on. Definitely excited to have you on. I'm a huge Trey Young fan, so uh, me and Sully, he's a Luka Doncic guy, so we're kind of, you know, (laughs) Um, definitely just have a few questions for you as far as the Atlanta Hawks go. Obviously, the big one is this is last year, they're 20 and 47. They are a young team, though, so you get that kind of pass because Trey Young's only in his second year, even though he played out of his mind. John Collins emerges, but it's only his third year and uh, or his yeah, his third year. You've got two rookies that get a lot of playing time with Hunter and Reddish. And then this offseason, basically, you add Clint Capella, which I know was at the end of last year, but you add Capella, John Rondo, Danilo Gallinari, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. You have the number six overall pick and you get Ogunwu. What is the expectation for the team this year, and is it a realistic expectation? Uh, I think the expectation is the playoff. Um, I think the one thing that maybe could possibly change that is just the fact that they've been really good through uh, five games. Last night, John Collins made kind of an impassioned plea that you know he felt like People needed to take the team seriously. Like he literally at the end of what he was saying, you know, his last sentence was, we are not a joke. Like, mm-hmm. you know, take us seriously. Um, so I, I, but I think the reasonable expectation is uh, playoffs. I don't know exactly how you frame that this season because there are play-ins this year. And so really 10 teams from each conference sort of make the playoffs. Right. Um, and I think the reasonable expectation is is that they get somewhere in that group of ten. Um, I think the other reasonable expectation is that they just shoot a whole lot better than they shot last season. I don't know how you can kind of break down what each acquisition is going to add to the team, but I think in the cumulative, it's very clear that they didn't have shooting last year. They were last in the NBA, at, you know, thirtieth out of thirty teams in, in three point percentage. And that really should not be the case this year. They've added a whole bunch of shooting. The, the young shooters have gotten better. They should be a really good shooting team. Uh, how much better they are as a shooting team is is sort of left undetermined. And, and how well they shoot probably dictates, you know, where in that playoff scenario they end up fitting. I actually agree. I think you're selling your team a little short there. We did a, a season breakdown earlier, not a season, but like who we thought was going to do like better than anticipated. And I think we both agreed that the Hawks uh, are going to do really well. And, and you know, I know Wayne's a, a huge Trey Young fan and uh, he's playing out of his mind right now. I mean, he's it looks like he's like taking that next step, um, you know, kind of like Luca did and, and these other superstars are doing. Uh, do you think he's a legitimate MVP candidate? Not necessarily this year, but but more so obviously going forward, I think. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right now, like not not in the future, right right now he's an MVP candidate. Um, you think he can sustain it for the whole season kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, he was – Again, you look at the Hawks, and and they were 30th out of 30 teams last year in terms of shooting. They, you know, their veterans were like Alan Crabb and Evan Turner and Chandler mm-hmm. Parsons, and 
a whole host of, you know, even Vince Carter, a whole host of guys who are just <laughs> not in the NBA right now. Like they, they you know, they, they're not in the NBA. <laughs> Nobody wants Chandler Parsons on their team. Nobody wants Alan Crabb on their team. Nobody wants Evan Turner on. Evan Turner is like an assistant coach. Vince is doing media. Um, and, and they went and spent a lot of money on Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, and, you know, for, for a trade to do what he did last season, which was basically, you know, if, if you round up like 30 and 10 uh, with just a pretty horrible offensive roster, uh, the sky's the limit offensively. And, you know, through five games, he's being more diligent defensively too. Uh, again, I don't know where the ceiling is in terms of wins, but in terms of being an MVP candidate, like it's it's now he he can do that. I don't know if he will, but like if you look at the odds for whatever Vegas has listed on him right now, it's probably like a good value still. Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> I was a huge fan. I was a huge fan. Uh, obviously, when he came out of college, he's the only NCAA player ever to lead the nation in assists and scoring in the same season. And uh, I said he's going to do the same thing in the NBA. I know he won't be the first because I think uh, Tiny Archibald did it, but uh, I think that he's going to lead the NBA in scoring and in assists in the same season, which I think is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I uh, I, I don't know if he would do that this season. You, I mean, I think he'll be like top five in both. Uh, assists is always hard. It just feels like with Rondo and Bogdanovich and Herter and some of the other guys that might be beside him at times, he'll share some playmaking load. Uh, not that he's not a great playmaker, but just the Hawks are more, the Hawks are better equipped this season than they were last season. They don't, they don't need to rely on him as a playmaker as much as they did. So, you know, statistically, he's still, the, you know, statistically, even though he's still the same playmaker or better, he may not line up quite as many assists now with the sixth overall pick in the draft you guys took anika gungwu uh my question for you is how do you feel about that pick because you guys passed up on obi Toppin, killian hayes tyrese halliburton uh who seemed like they were better prospects uh than gungwu and i'm just curious how you feel about taking him at six um i think the hawks were at a point where they had to be considerate of where they were as a team in terms of you don't really draft uh, for need, but you do have to be a little bit careful. You don't try to draft a starting point guard, for example. You're not going to draft somebody to, you know, somebody who should be a star point guard and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, try to find some interview with Trey Young. You know, they're, they're not a tanking team anymore. So they had to be a little bit considerate of what they need and, you know, what they need is a big man. They could have used another wing too. Um, so maybe somebody like Halliburton could have fit, but all in all, um, you know, I think he has a lot of potential. I think he fits the style that Travis wants to play. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a good pick. I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to contribute this season as a 19 year old, you know, coming off an injury in a super short preseason, you know, with a lot of guys who are already fitting into the picture. Um, but but there's room, um, you know. He'll he'll be able to compete with Bruno Fernando for whatever Bruno's contributing right now in terms of backup center minutes. Uh, even last night, they didn't really use a backup center. I mean, I think the one interesting thing there is that that may be what John Collins does really well. Ultimately, uh, you know, 
it's funny. I think he's still undersold in terms of how important he is to this team. They have Capella, who's had a disappointing stint so far. Uh, you know, he's still kind of rounding into shape. He had a fantastic game last night, like leaps and bounds above all his other games to this point. Because uh, I don't think he's been – he's been a good rebounder. This is talking about Capella still. He's been a good rebounder, but he's looked a little slower. Uh, you know, defensively, he pretty much could just play drop coverage, and he's he hasn't – he looks like he gets gassed a little bit. And last night, uh, he, like, turned the game around defensively in the second half. Uh, being aggressive. He set a career high in assists. Uh, so Capella, you know, can be better and he was last night, but really Collins is is an unbelievable fit for this team because they have so many playmakers who rely on Collins being able to apply pressure on the rim. Like he's, he's an elite uh, rim roller. Uh, between the two Brooklyn games, Kevin Durant said something to the effect of John Collins is the best player in the NBA yet slipping screens and rolling to the rim. He does that so well that he just sucks in the defense and makes a lot of space for his perimeter guys, Trey Young, but sometimes also Cam Reddish. Last night it was DeAndre Hunter uh, attacking Kyrie Irving on defense. Uh, you know, Collins rolling to the rim just gave him so much space to do the right thing. And so Collins does that with Capella as a power forward. <laughs> but to bring this back to a Congo, because I know that was what your question was, uh, just to get Collins enough minutes they're having to use him as a backup center. Uh, you know, he's starting at power forward next to Capella, but he's playing some, you know, some second unit units at center. And, you know, this season, I think the, the Hawks will still be a lot more comfortable doing that than using a Kongwu. Uh, so I think the minutes may be limited a little bit for a Kongwu early on, but we'll have to see. Now we've talked about the the secondary players that we've that the uh, Hawks have added. You know, Bogdan, uh, Capella. We're going to count because it was a late season addition. Danilo Gallinari, Rajon Rondo. Uh, all these guys are actually performing extremely well. Uh, who do you think at the end of the day becomes the biggest impactful add? Uh, right now, it's Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, because Rondo and Capella. You know, I and I don't actually think that this is to anyone's surprise. They're not really 82 game a, a, a year players, or in this case, 72 game a year players. You know, Rondo's already missed some time. He didn't play last night. I think that was probably sort of deliberate with it being a back to back. Uh, Capellas missed, let's see, they've played five games, and I think he missed the first two with foot soreness. And Gallinari's already sort of bruised a foot and sprained an ankle. So I, I think just in terms of consistency, in terms of health, uh, because some of the other guys are older and have, you know, shakier injury histories, I think Bogdanovich will be the most consistent just because of the health thing. But in terms of actual play, if everybody's healthy, I think it might be Gallinari. He's... He's an incredible offensive player. It's kind of unfair to put him next to Trey Young because you know you have two guys who are maybe there are the best in the NBA at drawing free throws and converting free throws. Like they're legitimate ninety percent free throw shooters. So you know if Trey is getting thirteen free throws a game and hitting ninety percent, and then you have Gallo playing twenty six minutes a game and he's getting you know eight free throws a game at ninety percent. You know that's just 
the points add up and you know it might not feel like a lot but at the end of the day you look at well, you know what do these Trey Young Gallinari lineups look like and they're just you know they have the potential to be some of the best offensive lineups in the NBA because of shooting but also because they really will be able to generate a lot of free throws. Gallinari is super crafty. He's unbelievably slow. <laughs> but with the pump fakes and everything else, he he just has a bag that he can sell to defenders, and they, they end up fouling him. I, we talked about it earlier. Uh, Luka Doncic and Trey Young, I think, like Bird and Magic, Tupac and Biggie, you know, they're, they're always <laughs> going to be linked together. And my question for you is, obviously, the trade that sent Trey Young to Atlanta <laughs> – you basically sent Luka Doncic, and you also got Cam Reddish. So you basically, for Cam Reddish and Trey Young, Dallas got Luka Doncic. In your opinion, did the Hawks win that trade? Was it a wash, or do you feel like, eh, I wish we kind of kept Luka? I think that it's it's close. Uh, I think probably in the end that Luka's probably the, the better half of that trade, but Again, you look at what, what came out of that draft and, and it feels like the Hawks probably got the second best situation out of whatever, you know, the top eight teams or top 10 teams in that draft. The, the Hawks came away with a lot in terms of, of Cam Reddish and Trey Young. I think maybe out of everybody, I don't know if I'm just talking about the Hawks or maybe the whole NBA, <laughs> uh, that, that Cam Reddish kind of got a raw deal in terms of the pandemic uh, absence you know they they went from march to december they didn't get to play in the bubble you know he was 20 years old at the start of the pandemic and and his trajectory in his rookie season went from just you know abhorrent to hey wait a minute this this guy's going to be an all-star um like just in the span of months like he, he changed so much from from october to march last season um and so not being able to play for nine months i think hurt him maybe more than anybody on the Hawks, maybe more than anybody in the NBA. Uh, it was kind of a raw deal for him. Uh, he's still kind of finding his way a little bit this season. I thought last night he, he gambled a lot, uh, trying to, trying to, you know, work against the nets, like almost like every pass and went in his direction. He kind of tried to jump it and, you know, was getting close, but really wasn't getting anything. Um, for him to be effective, he needs to be an elite defender, and he can be. Uh, I'm not sure that he's done it yet this season as much as he was at the end of last season, but Cam Reddish can be a really good player. I mean, we already talked about about what, what Trey can be, but Cam, Cam can be uh, a really good defender, and, you know, combined with Hunter, these lineups that the Hawks are starting, I mean, I don't know. He's probably not an all-star player, maybe for for Cam Reddish, but these lineups that the Hawks are starting are are really solid. Like putting Trey Young out there with with DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, John Collins, and Clint Capella. He's out there with four big guys. He's out there with four guys that once they kind of get on the same page, are really good defenders. Collins is doing a much better job on defense. Uh, Hunter and Reddish are. You know they're not the kind of guys that make an all defense team, but they're better than that because they're going to be better offensive players and they're going to be really good on defense too. And 
Trey's playing better defense this year. So like those units, they're not going to set the world on fire defensively, but they're going to be pretty good on defense and then able to be exceptional on offense. Like it, it seems like a, uh, overstating it to say, well, these could be some of the best offensive lineups in history, but it almost feels like they can because, you know, every year the offenses in the NBA get a little further ahead. I'm not sure what year is going to swing the trend back in the other direction, but the offenses seem to get a step every year. And the Hawks are going to have one of the best offenses in the NBA this season. And, you know, just kind of taking that fact one step further, they'll literally be one of the probably the best offenses in NBA history. Uh, because the offenses are so explosive across the league right now, right. especially with no fans, it's you know nobody behind the backboard waving and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as of right now, you guys are the number one ranked team offensively in the league. I mean, you got six players scoring in double figures. I mean, you, your team, your offensive team is is pretty impressive. Uh, I, I got a question here that I actually didn't expect to ask, but. Uh, you've mentioned a lot of things that remind me of and make similarities of the two players. And honestly, I'd be a little worried. Uh, do you think Trey Young is James Harden? Um, not really, no. Um, no, I think if you look at what Harden's done over the years, he's been kind of a regular season player. Mm-hmm. And I kind of ex- – like when you think about Trey – it always is a little bit of an adjustment when he gets to another level. Like when he get when he first got to college, it took him a little bit. When he first got to the pros, it took him a little bit to get his feet wet. Everybody was sort of panicking after two months. That's like, you know, calm down. Let him take, let him take his, his time. He, he's going to get it figured out. And he did get it figured out. I think the first time he gets to the playoffs, um, Trey probably will have a, a bad pre a bad postseason, and everybody will lose their mind to go, Oh God, he's a regular season player. And then the second time he gets to the playoffs, he's going to be a lot better. So like if the Hawks get to the postseason this season and, and Trey struggles, I'm not going to be surprised. And I won't be surprised if the second postseason, everybody's like, Oh wait, he's going to be fine. He, he's going to be a clutch guy in the postseason. Um, he, he's super competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he get he adds stuff and gets better constantly. Um, you know, he got better shooting. He, he gets better passing. And like this season, I think he's going to take a step defensively. And, you know, I know he has a reputation as sort of one of the worst defenders in the NBA. And those, those people don't watch that much defense. So those are hard to shed, but I think he's already, you know, taking a step defensively with better players around him. And I just, um, I, I think that, you know, unlike Harden, we're going to get to a point four years from now, let's say, where, you know, he's one of the top five players in the NBA and a legit superstar that people consider as a postseason threat. So I, I, I don't know if Harden has gotten to that level in terms of, I know he has that kind of regular season respect, but I don't think he has that kind of postseason respect. Um, and, you know, as, as, players get a little bit older and, you know, the generation of LeBron and KD goes past. I think Trey Young will be considered as one of the best postseason threats, you know, four or five years from now in a way that James Harden isn't right now. Nice. I like that. Now the, uh, 
question I had, we talked earlier about expectations. I think the expectations are high, and the more that they win early on, the bigger those expectations are going to grow. If, for whatever reason, they don't meet the expectation that fans have, it doesn't matter, I guess, what the the team has, but the fans have a certain expectation, and the fans drive those types of decisions in the front office. If Lloyd Pierce is out after this season, I mean, the guy's got a 33%, 35% winning percentage for his career, what sort of coach would be best for this team? Is he the best kind of coach, or would the team benefit more from like a veteran-type coach, uh, a college-type coach, you know, what kind of dynamic does this team have? What kind of coach would they prefer? That's a good question. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I guess I would push back a little bit. I'm not sure that the fans would drive the decision making in that sort of thing. I think in our fan expectations, I think it's probably more ownership expectations, and I think at least for now, ownership expectations would be the playoffs. And I think the Hawks are pretty safe to make the playoffs in the Eastern conference. It feels like a lot of teams have in the East have taken a step back a little bit. Um, you know, some others have taken a step forward, like maybe like Cleveland or somebody like that. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any worries that the Hawks will make the East. I think Lloyd is sort of the right style of coach. He's, he's a teacher, but he's also, you know, respectful to the player side of things. And I think that's probably the, the right way to go. Uh, he's kind of a, a, a player's coach, but for young players, he's a young coach. He's, he's smart. He's getting a lot out of his team. I, I don't think they really have a whole lot of worries in that guard, regard, but if they did, it would probably just be a different voice who, who's something like Lloyd. Okay. Well, that was my question. Cause I know obviously with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, you remember, um, you know, having their head coach, they get to the NBA finals. Then they're in the first two or three spots the following year. And he gets fired for Ty Lue, you know? So obviously I think brilliant X's and O's guy, but that's not what that team needed. That team needed a Tyron Lue's more of a player friendly coach in order to do what they needed to do. That, that's why that was my question is, you know, was Lloyd Pierce the right personality for this team? So. Yeah. I think he's the right personality for the team. Yeah. Now this one, I don't, I don't honestly, from the from the talks of it, I, I'm not sure how you're going to answer. Uh, so you got a a lot of young budding talent. We we've talked about this, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. Obviously, I think John Collins isn't a superstar, but I don't think there's any way he gets kind of moved in this instance or anything like that. Uh, you don't have a true second superstar, in my opinion. And in the NBA, I think you need two superstars. Do you see the Hawks making a move and and maybe going out and grabbing a superstar that, that comes to the market um, for some of this young talent? Or do you think they kind of see how this plays out? Uh, I don't want to get in trouble, spitball. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> a, I knew this would kind of be a difficult question here. <laughs> you truthfully trust me we're not going to force you to answer any questions so no 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 um i just i it's funny because when you first ask the question it's like well who is there like there's there's nobody who's who's going to be available <laughs> like Gian, Giannis is you know he signed his extension james harden i just don't think he's a fit I don't uh, because you need to have the ball in Trey's hands, and Agreed. I'm not sure how much how much somebody like James Harden could add. And 
And then I think you just kind of go through names and it's like, you know, who, who fits the Hawks? I think, you know, one, one of the understated things about their off season is that they did sort of add a volume of talent and a volume of just salary to balance things out where they could kind of make some sort of trade uh, for a superstar. One of the things I think that's understated about it is that they don't have a whole lot of draft picks. They're not like Boston a couple of years ago where they just had a cache of first round draft picks at the ready to, to put in some sort of trade. If, if the Hawks were to do something like that, they'd have to trade their own picks. Um, they don't really have a lot of anybody else's picks at this point. They just have their own draft picks. Mm-hmm. But between that and the salary and the talents that they have, you know, they could make a compelling p- package for somebody that wants to rebuild. Kevin Durant said something after the first Brooklyn game this uh, this week. You know, he said he felt like the Hawks had seven or eight starters on their team. <laughs> you know, they they're kind of weirdly deep like that. I think Collins represents something really unique to the team. I think if if he were to somehow go, the the composition of the roster changes a lot, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of how much he offers to the offensive players uh, as a role man, but as a role man who can shoot and just do a whole bunch of things. So I don't know if you could trade him, but you kind of could, like defensively and stuff. Uh, I, I don't know, but like the weird thing to me is like, what what's what's the path for Golden State to get better? Mm-hmm. Uh, getting Clay Thompson back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's going to be thirty three, and he's I, I love Clay Thompson. Like, I think I, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Like, if if we go back a couple of years, and you, you know, who are the top literally the top ten players in the NBA? I would put Clay Thompson on that list. Like, he's He's so undervalued in terms of what he can add to a team without needing the ball in his hands. Like he's just unbelievable. Yeah, we but, both have know, said that if if he was on his own team, he'd win an MVP. Yeah, he, he's yeah. And, and he does it. You know, he's an amazing defender. He does that kind of stuff while guarding the opposing team's best player. Like mm-hmm. he's he's just incredible. Like his impact on winning is just has been understated for years, but he's going to be coming back off Achilles surgery. That roster at golden state is abhorrent. Like I love clay Thompson. I love Steph Curry. That's not going to be a good team. Like <laughs> how, how good is golden state? Even when they get clay back and, 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 you know, Steph is who Steph is at this point. He's an unbelievable scorer and shooter. Um, you know, he's literally the best shooter in NBA history, but the pieces around them and you know, they're just, it, it's kind of unfair because they've just, they've had so many years where, you know, they haven't had draft capital to, to rebuild the coffers. You know, they kind of had to push for the playoffs and trade whatever assets they had to plug in the right piece for that postseason. Well, that catches up to you after eight years of that. <laughs> and so it's, it's not their fault. It's just kind of a natural cycle that you get to the top and you ride it out. And they, you know, they had terrible injury luck in the span of 12 months. The number of things that happened to them was, was catastrophic, but then there's just, there's just not enough to sort of backfill behind it. 
Um, and the players that are there now that aren't named Steph and aren't named Clay, good golly, like a <laughs> headache. So yeah, that, that's it. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Um, Just a vague suggestion. <laughs> my uh, yeah, my last question I had for you is actually one that uh, sparks quite a bit of debate amongst basketball fans, and this one's more of a general NBA question. Lots of talk about era, right? Whatever era you played in as a player, that was the best era. Wilt Chamberlain said his era was the best era. Michael Jordan's era is the best era, right? And my question for you is looking at the players now, they're more athletic than they've ever been. They're better shooters than they've ever been. They're better ball handlers than they've ever been. My question is, is 2020, 2021, is this the best era of NBA basketball? Yeah, absolutely. I mean – and, and and 2025 will be better than 2021. I mean, it's just, it's just a natural progression. Um, you know, my, my other career pursuit other than basketball is math. And it's, it's kind of the same way with, you know, any kind of academic research. It's like you know, the academic research now is deeper and more progressed than ever before, but you know, you're just standing on the shoulders of the people before you. So uh, what they contributed was essential. Um, you know, every everything is learned from from the players that came before you, and so you know NBA players now have every move at their disposal because they watched players from the 2000s, who watched players from the 80s, who watched players from the 70s, and so now there's this library of of basketball moves and basketball theory and basketball skill that have just evolved over the years. And so it's, 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 it's as good as it ever has been. And it's going to continue to get better because, uh, you know, there, there's incentive to get better. You know, if you're, if you're a really good basketball player, you can make $30 million a year. So uh, <laughs> use the resources of your ancestors to go and get better. That was a great statement. I'm not going to lie. No one got me. All right. Well, I certainly appreciate having you on today. I, we love the writing from NBA.com, all the Hawks articles. I was curious if you could talk a little bit before you left about the ATL in 29 and what that's all about. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, in my writing, I get to, you know, write a lot of uh, player-centered pieces and, uh, you know, I don't write that often. I probably write like once a week or once every 10 days. And it tends to be kind of a deep dive on a player or a topic. Uh, so the podcast is something where I get to be a little more reactionary, probably do a podcast about, you know, once every game or once every game and a half and, you know, just kind of analyze trends and, you know, stuff on a more granular level, like uh, the day-to-day trends of the team and kind of get into the nitty gritty with the podcast. So that's a, an opportunity to kind of get both sides of it uh, with the writing being uh, more of a deep dive and the podcast being more of a day-to-day newsy thing. Right. Well, yeah, I can't uh, say thank you enough. I know Dan and I both really appreciate having you on. Oh, for sure. Well, thank um, you. It's a nice opportunity to be here. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All right. Well, again, yeah, thanks. And like I said, uh, we'll get you out of there on that note. And uh, like I said, looking forward to the next uh, the next article so I can, especially if it's about Trey Young and how he's better than Luka Doncic, so I can rub it. <laughs> <his name>. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last one. I didn't mention Luka by name, but uh, yeah, Trey, Trey is having a fantastic start to the season. He sure is. <laughs> And Luca is not. <laughs> no, Luca is not. He will. I'm, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. 
Right. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you so much, Kevin. Have a great day, man. Our interview was brought to you by Invader Coffee. That is 100% organic, 100% air roasted, 100% money back guarantee if you don't like it. But Sully will attest you will like it. So there is uh, (laughs) – you definitely got to do it. And, you know, visit – get the belly up code. You get a 15% off your entire order. You're missing out, guys. It's delicious, and they got cool. Sh- they got really cool stuff on the uh, on the uh, shop. They really do. A uh, couple of comments coming in. Obviously, we have uh, Brandon Combs from TSS Triple Shot Sports. Uh, what's going on, boys? And That's that dude uh, right there. Great interview. Yeah. So we uh, we love when Brandon chimes in. He also does the Man Hour Show out of Louisville uh, on the radio every Saturday at nine a.m. So you guys should check that out. Uh, Brandon and Michael, tons of fun. Michael used to be our boss, actually. So. Uh, <laughs> Definitely fun to listen to those guys. Yeah, for sure. They're a great listen. And, uh, you know, definitely they they always give us a lot of support. And we appreciate that, man. They're the best. So we got to jump into some college football news because the last few days have just been bananas, starting with Oklahoma, Florida. Right. I mean, this game, you know, 55 to 20. I I really thought Florida was going to win this one like 35, you know, 32. (laughs) It was an absolute blowout. I mean, to be fair. We didn't have any of our skill starters, skill player starters. Can Derek Tony sat out? Kyle Pitts sat out. Um, there was talk Kyle Trask was going to sit out. Um, I mean, no excuses, but I mean, you know, I don't think we were really geared up for this game. A lot of our players have now put their focus onto the NFL draft and their future. But nonetheless, we looked awful. Kyle Trask, I mean, I feel like I've cursed the kid. Uh, I, <laughs> the second I put him in my top 25, he has played bad football um i mean that's just a i mean that's a terrible terrible decision like you just you can't make that throw i mean it's just this one i think is the drop yeah i mean that's not his fault you got to catch the football if that's kyle pitts that's a that's a great play but nonetheless it's like you know he hasn't performed like that's a terrible throw he hasn't performed in his in his most important games, and that's a problem. Like honestly, he's plummeted on my board. He's not in my top thirty-two right now, and that's just in literally. A, a, I think I had him in my top. I had him at twenty-three. I think two weeks ago. Well, and that's something that I did as well because, and we've talked about this, that, you know, Brandon complains a lot about Mitchell Trubisky. And I'm always like, I like Mitchell Trubisky. And at the end of the day, I'm just looking at the box score. And I'm like, hey, he's 21 of 29. What's wrong with Mitchell Trubisky? But it's watching the game. And that was the thing when I I was very high on Kyle Trask because I'm checking the box score. And he's throwing for 400 yards and four touchdowns a game. But then when I actually had a chance to watch him play, which was a couple games ago, like I mentioned to you, he just doesn't make a second read. It's one read and throw or I don't know what he doesn't run. He's not mobile. So it's, it's very hard to watch him. And then I guess maybe this, the last couple of games has just been a testament to what you were saying at the start of the season before he sold you. You know, he, uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, he's just not uh, a super you know, great quarterback. He's not, I mean, and he's not a bad quarterback by any means. I, I, I just, truthfully, I don't know if I see NFL starter. I really don't. Um, it's just in his in the most important games, the games where he's playing NFL caliber defenses in Alabama, and he's playing in a front of everybody on a national scale against a Big Twelve defense, and and you just don't perform. I mean, that's just not a good look to scouts. It's just not. They're gonna take they're gonna take the Alabama tape and weigh it much 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 heavier than they weigh a 
Vanderbilt tape. You know what I mean? And yeah. and they're they're truthfully probably not even going to watch the Vanderbilt game. You know what I mean? And things like that. They're going to go back and watch Georgia and LSU and Alabama and Oklahoma. Those are probably the four games most scouts are going to watch. And you watch those games and you don't see a first round quarterback in Kyle Trask. On the other side, Spencer Rattler is going to be a baller. Now, Brandon says, I like Trask plummeting. Come to Chicago. So, like I was saying, he does not like the quarterback situation there. So. You better get some offensive line if you want Kyle Trask to come to Chicago, boy. Woo! <laughs> the good thing is, is you won't have to get Kyle Trask uh, in the – he played great, yeah, but he. I, I don't know. It's about winning football games. And, it, again, he, he made certain, like – plays in that game that made you think he won't be a successful starter in the NFL. Yes, he made certain plays that make you think he could be a successful starter, but it's just the mix of things now that the combined those four games, it just doesn't look good in my opinion. Spencer Rattler is going to be a baller though. I think that kid has all the makings to be a superstar. Uh, Brandon did have a question about Justin Fields, which we'll get to. Oh, yeah, um, we're going to get to it. But uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, this is the next game. And this, I think, went according to how we thought it would go, which is 31-14. Actually, I thought this was going to be the 55-20 to 20 game. Um, but, why, yeah. why is Notre Dame in bowl games? I, I don't know. I mean, because they're 11-1 or 10-0 and or whatever it is. I mean, they made it to the national championship game, whatever it was, usually with because they were undefeated. And then they got smoked, you know? It's just, I, I mean, after all this time, you would think the committee would realize, hey, look, like, we got to just not, like, I mean, it's just embarrassment after embarrassment after embarrassment with this team, and it's it's just gotten to the point where it's it's pretty unwatchable. Um, I don't know. I mean, Alabama's really good, so, I mean, to honestly, to hold them to 31. Nope, lost you for a second there, Sully. Just a kind of spinning dial. Um, oh, I heard you in and out. All right. Um, well, well, Sully's coming back on. Obviously, it was you know a, a blowout by Alabama. Uh, not really. I mean, thirty-one to fourteen, seventeen points, but they dominated the game from start to finish. Mac Jones had almost three hundred yards passing, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. That certainly helps his Heisman case. Uh, Najee Harris, fifteen carries for one hundred twenty-five yards. Um, I have a question for Sully about that when we after we get through the Clemson game as well about the, the two running backs. And then of course, Devonte Smith, seven catches, 130 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, I know a lot of people are thinking that he is solidifying his position as the Heisman favorite, but um, we'll see about that. Hey, I see you. <laughs> oh, can't hear you though. I'll have you unmuted. Hold on. Hold on. I got you. That's on my end. Um, all right, we good? There we go. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea what happened there. My my computer literally just. I mean, it's plugged in and everything. That was weird. Um. So, uh, Brandon yeah. did have a question because I kind of went on a little bit, but Brandon had a question about it where she said, "A name a team that deserved the four seed and would have played Bama better." Um. Texas A and M. I think I'd like to see. Um, I, I understand they got beat by Bama, but I think they are a better football team than when they got beat by Bama. Um, I think they deserved it more. I'm just going to take an SEC team over uh, 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 an ECC team every day. Um, how, how much of Notre Dame getting into these games is a uh, financial decision? I mean, it's, it's huge. It's massive. Yeah. It's the only reason they get into these bowl games. It's because they're the most watched team in the planet. So, 
Yeah. I mean, college football team. That is every, every, every year. The, the committee, I'm sure just says, please go 10 and one or 10. Exactly. Out. Just please, please, please give us a, give us a reason to let you in. Like, just please give us a reason to let you in and we'll let you in. You know, it'd be a good reason to let them in is maybe they could lower their standards and get some decent football players in there. <laughs> True statement. Uh, I would, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Devonte Smith though, for a second. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, this guy's just blowing my mind. I, He's only 172 pounds, so I don't know how he's going to last in the NFL. But good God, this man can fly. He gets open. I, I, I mean, it's tough to ignore what he's doing right now. And I'm not sure, like, I mean, in regards to, like, seasons, it's, it's one of the best college football wide receiver seasons we've ever seen. It's incredibly impressive what he's doing. I mean, he's on par with right now with, like, Julio Jones and Amari Cooper and, like, it's just insane to watch him play football right now. Two other Alabama wide receivers. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I mean, it, well, I mean, when you think back at some of like the best wide receiver prospects to come out in the last 10 years or even 15 years, you know, those are the names that come to mind. Um, you know, I, it's just wild. I mean, Jamar Chase is a, is a special, special breed, but we haven't seen him in a year. Uh, so I don't know. Devontae Smith may just, we'll see. He's got to weigh more than 170 pounds at the combine. Well, that's what my question was for you about the uh, the Heisman Award, right? So now, obviously, with Trevor Lawrence losing, I didn't think he deserved to be in the Heisman conversation anyways, just based on his statistics. And then, you know, with Kyle Trask just looking awful the last two games he's played, it's really between Mac Jones and Devontae Smith. And I would think that with this three-touchdown game, if Devontae Smith has got to be the front runner for the Heisman. Yeah, I mean, it's just a quarterback award, so it's going to be tough because, I mean, you got to remember, Mac Jones is the one throwing him these touchdowns, so Mac Jones had three touchdowns too. Um, so it's it's going to be tough, I think, for a wide receiver to win it, but if there was ever a year, this is the year he could do it because, like you said, with Trevor Lawrence, if he'd have won, I think they'd have given him the award as a career achievement award, um, but he didn't win. Uh, Kyle Trask, you cannot give the Heisman to. You can't. He's, he, that would be atrocious. So I agree. It's Mac Jones and, and Devontae Smith. And while it's a quarterback award, Devontae Smith has been the more impressive player. I mean, he's done it everywhere. You know, he's punt returning and, and things like that, too, and kick returning. And, and he's an impact. I mean, when he touches the football, it's watch out. He's going to score. And, I, I mean, that's that's what a Heisman is. Well, the big thing is what percentage of his touchdown passes go to Devontae Smith. And I think that's why you think Devontae Smith's got 22 touchdowns and Mac Jones has 44 for the season. Well, half your touchdowns is the wide receiver. you got to give it to the wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brandon does uh, say Najee Davis uh, with the eyeball. Uh, We're going to talk about Najee I'm, did you, uh Did you get the play? Um, I did not get the Najee Davis play, no. Uh. You didn't, you didn't message me. Didn't get any. I know I should have, but I mean, you had a you had the Devonte Smith touchdown. Why, how did you not see the Najee Harris when he leaps, dude? And then I just, just I just grabbed three touchdowns. I did a score I know, thing. It's fine. I'm just messing with you. Uh, yeah, Najee Davis is impressive. Um, I mean, it's I just still don't. He's not going to knock Travis Etienne off the number one back pedestal. I don't because he's not going to show up and run like a four three at the combine or anything like that. Travis Etienne's I think going to be more impressive at the combine. But, I mean, he's a clear – I think – I mean, I don't take first-round running backs. But, I mean, in the NFL, he may, he's probably going to get picked in this first round. Um, he, they're the only two backs that are, like, worth that. Well, perfect – oops, yeah, there we go. Why is it close? Perfect segue into the OSU-Clemson game is uh, – you know, obviously this game is uh, 49-28. to 28, And it looks like the team that only played six games is advancing to the national championship. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I'll say it from the start and I'll say it again. They didn't deserve to be in it. They were one of the four best teams, but they didn't deserve to be in it. Um, honestly, Brett Venables just got embarrassed. Um, he got outclassed and outcoached. Um, the defense was awful. They couldn't get any pressure. Um, you'll see play after play that the secondary just got whomped. Um, honestly, like everybody's saying, Justin Fields, this and that. I mean, those are easy throws. I, I, they just are. Like, there's guys are three yards wide open running downfield. Like, those are easy throws, man. Um, well, that's when you're looking at, like, did he lead him perfectly or did he have to come back and get it and stuff like that? Which a lot, honestly, he left a little short and he missed some and things. But, I mean, there's still there, – you're not going to knock him for any of those throws. But it's like you look at that game and people are like, oh, Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. And it's no – he didn't truly play – like, yes, he played impressive, but none of it was like – wow, that's special. You know what I mean? So, like, let's let's just take a step back there. Um, I don't think – and I'm sure that's what Brandon's question might have been. Does he, do I have him over Trevor Lawrence? I mean, I know he hates Trevor Lawrence, but – Yeah, that was his question. Is that did uh, uh, Fields do enough and did uh, uh, Lawrence not do enough to the point that they could flip on the – and I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's still – It's Trevor. not even close. I'm telling you, like, what when you build a quarterback in a laboratory – of who you want to play the position. It's Trevor Lawrence. He does nothing that you don't want. Like it's, it's scary. Uh, Obviously people are going to say ball security, but I mean, to be fair, he had no offensive coordinator, which I'm telling you is a massive loss. Like everybody like tries to discount that as it's not a loss. It's a massive loss. And his offensive line just got embarrassed. Honestly, it was zero time. He had pressure in his face all the time. Um, I, I do think he holds the ball a little wonky. I, I will say maybe that's his knock. He's, you got to stop the fumbles because um, I think this is a couple now, and that's a little worrisome. But, I mean, he still performed, I think, rather well. I mean, he made some incredible throws. Yeah, he made some, some, some iffy throws. But, I mean, there's no way Justin Fields catches him. Justin Fields didn't do anything, like I said, that like jumped off of tape that, that we didn't know he couldn't already do, essentially. No, yeah, Brandon says, uh, I don't hate Lawrence. I just think he's overrated and will be a bust in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, I you can repeat that statement, but, like, I mean, like, what doesn't he do well? That's, like, that's what I'll continue to ask people who say things like that. He has a high bust rate. I'll agree because, honestly, his expectations are so ungodly high at this point. But, I mean, do we think Andrew Luck was a bust? Um, you know, he never won a Super Bowl, but – you know, he, he brought his team from a number one pick to a playoff contender every year and things like that. So, you know, it's kind of how you judge the guy. Um, do I think Trevor Lawrence has the ability to win multiple Super Bowls? Yeah, I do. Do I think he has the ability to also not work out because he ends up in a bad situation or something like that? Yeah, of course. Now, aside from those games, uh, you brought it up to me. Uh, you said, hey, did you see the the brawl? And uh, I did not see the brawl, so I had to go and find it and watch it. I'm going to tell you something. It, the big thing about this brawl, and, and I'll pull it up, obviously, is that it looks like it gets really out of control, and that's what I think is kind of scary for people and they don't like. But really what people didn't like was Mike Leach after the game saying, eh, you know, it's football. You know, you go to a football game, expect to get hit. You know, yeah. And people didn't like him saying that. Again, see, this looks really bad and it looks like it's out of control, but it's not. It's We see football players do this all the time. Like, to me, this is not as bad as, you know, LeGarrette Blunt punching a guy in the face during the handshake line. Yeah, I mean, if you continue in that video, though, one of the guys for TCU goes down and they, like, step on him 
like purposely are like stomping on him and so, like it gets pretty gnarly. And then the hit that started it, I don't know, that was the thing. There was an onside kick, and the receiving team just cracks this player, and he's like down for a while. He's got to get carried off essentially. Like he's like out. Like it was a vicious hit with like 24 seconds left too. Um, so I think that's kind of like what boiled everything over. But I mean, I just thought of it more of, man, you got to watch this shit. It's incredible. Not, <laughs> not like, Oh my God. Uh, because I truthfully, I mean, you know, it's entertainment. That's how I view this stuff. It's like, I mean, people watch wrestling. So, I mean, for me, yeah, it was insane, but it was fun to watch. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, for me, I mean, it wasn't like obviously it wasn't the malice in the palace, you know. Which is... I mean, like you, you got to remember these these kids aren't stupid. Like they are stupid because they're punching people <laughs> with helmets. But I mean, they have helmets on. Like nobody's running out there taking their helmet off trying to fight somebody. Um, so they're not really gonna get like hurt. Hurt. Um, we'll see. Like, like I said, the one kid he did get piled on and stepped on, and and I've been in some piles, and I'm telling you, fingers going places you don't want fingers to go. And I'm not talking about your ass. They'll stick them in your ear holes like hard. Like, and that shit hurts, man. Like, they'll go for your eyes bad, and that shit hurts. Um, and like that's what you do in in, in situations like that because people got helmets on. Uh, but man. That was fun to watch. I'm not going to lie. Um, kind of uh, NFL-ish news, but also college news. And we talked about it in the last episode I did with Parker, was Urban Meyer has been approached by the Jacksonville Jaguars and by the Detroit Lions to see if he has interest in coaching in the NFL. And he didn't say no. He said, let me think about it for a week, and I'll get back to you guys. So there's he is contemplating it. And if anything, I would think Jacksonville is the better fit because of the style of offense that he has and getting Trevor Lawrence in there. It fits perfectly with what he does. For sure. And, I mean, just wait for the Justin Fields rumors to start if Urban Meyer starts or if takes that Jags job. Um, and then the, the Justin Fields rumors are fly like crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in, honestly, either quarterback kind of fits his system and the style of football he wants to play. Um, the Jags have a ton of cap room. I think there uh, would be a team that, you know, he loves being in the state of Florida. He's He's kind of – loved still here in Gainesville. Um, obviously like we, we do have some hatred for him, but I mean, you know, the guy brought us, you know, championships. So, you know, we still do respect and, and have a, a heart for urban Meyer. So if he went to Duval, I'm sure we, we jump all over that bandwagon. So, uh, I think it'd be a solid fit. Truthfully. I don't know how well his offense would do in the NFL, but also I'd love to see, you know what I mean? I don't think it wouldn't succeed. No. And, uh, I think that, Brandon's got a few comments here. He says, good thing the virus can't be caught on the field, uh, only in the stands and on the sidelines. And I'm not going to get into all of that. I mean, obviously, the (laughs) the players are policed more so than the fans are policed, right? I mean, the college can tell these kids when they need to go to bed, where they're allowed to go, when they're allowed to go. When they're tested. When they're tested, yeah. Whereas, like a fan, the the team doesn't have any control over that. So, uh, obviously, that's a totally different story. And then uh, Brandon says, Meyer in the NFL would be a bust, too, with the puke emoji. Um, that I, again, I don't, I don't necessarily, I think I, I, I would lean more towards him not succeeding than I would him succeeding because I think what he did best was he was just a great recruiter and got the best fucking talent in there, um, and was able to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, he obviously designed some incredible offenses that won everywhere he went. So there is that, you know, cap to put his hat on. I mean, he succeeded at Utah. He succeeded at Florida. He succeeded at Ohio state. Um, so, you know, the trend would say he succeeds in the NFL, but it's most likely that he doesn't. 
Now, I had written an article uh, for Belly Up Sports, so check it out, bellyupsports.com, called The Return. And it's uh, all about the return of Jimmy Garoppolo to the New England Patriots, which I think is a very high likelihood. And my reasoning behind it was this. It's, it's a couple of different situations. Obviously, we know the Patriots need a quarterback. That's one. Uh, two, obviously, he's very familiar with the system, so he would be a great fit to just plug right back into Josh McDaniel's system. But more so, the 49ers don't seem to be in love with him. Uh, the 49ers fans definitely aren't in love with him. And his dead cap money, if they cut him this offseason, is only $2.5 million. And so he's guaranteed, or if they keep him, he's $35 million against the cap or 33 So it just makes all the sense in the world to release him, pay the $2.5 million dead cap money, and then you know he can go sign with New England. There's no way he gets released. New England will have to come out with come out of the pocket with something. Well, why would they have to come out of the pocket? Oh. Because you're not going to release a, a Jimmy Garoppolo. That he won't get. Somebody will pay pay a, a fee for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's still a, he's still a better quarterback than anybody Detroit has on their roster at this point. He's still a better quarterback than anybody. I, I shit. Uh. Uh, Carolina would love Jimmy. I think Jimmy Garoppolo would fit perfectly in Carolina. Honestly, um, there's just signed Teddy Bridgewater to a contract last year. That t- Teddy Bridgewater is not the future of that franchise. One hundred percent not the future of that franchise. Nobody believes he is. Nobody thinks him to be. Um, there's no way. Uh, I think there's too many teams that would have a, a need for Jimmy Garoppolo for you to think that he would get released or that the Patriots wouldn't have to come up with something. I don't think he demands a first anymore. If he does, it's a late, late first, something like like New Orleans. Boom. New Orleans would give up their first-round pick for Jimmy G in a second. I think. Well, I, wouldn't it be crazy that he would get a first when they traded him for a second? Yeah, but he's, I think, performed better than – like. When he was in New England, it was all kind of what could he be. Then he won 20 games, you know, and was like 20 and four in San Francisco. Now, granted, he's trending downward, but, you know, if New England came out with their second, I think it'd be like, you know what I mean? It's essentially, hey, trade him back for what we got him. I don't think either team would be disappointed in that deal. And I think that's what, honestly, you would have to do to make it happen. But obviously the cap hit comes into play. You know, they're not going to want to take $35 million into their season next year unless he plans to be their starter. So, well, and Brandon says uh, Chicago for Jimmy G. And I, Chicago. as soon as I thought, Chicago for anybody in the new comments, he says, let's be honest, I want any <laughs> I mean, and he's not wrong. Honestly, I think Jimmy G fits in Chicago. I think, you know, Jimmy G's a, a player that I think can play in multiple systems and, and you know, has the ability to be successful in the NFL if, if, you know, placed in the right situation. And I mean, he's proven that I think. So uh, I I think to think he would just get released is just, man, quarterbacks are such a premium. There's no way he gets released. And any final thoughts? Really, I was, we have a show on Monday, so everybody tune in on Monday because we got a bunch of other news that we didn't get to today. Kamara, you know, as we got to talk about, we got to talk about Becky Hammond coaching. The, so a lot of things to talk about there. Uh, plus, more is going to happen this weekend with the NFL. <laughs> and, and obviously, we want to promote that next Saturday, first round mock draft we're going to have. Uh, we're always going to go over who's going to be the first through the 30-second picks. We wanted to kind of wait and see who that, you know, the lottery picks, so to say, are going to be. And then we don't know the playoff position. But we'll just yeah, the playoffs, I'll make my own predictions on at that point usually truth be told i usually just go chalk until it changes um you know what i mean and i'll just go who's ever the higher seed i just go by that and then when it changes if a higher seed beats then i'll change the the the, uh, order after that 
Uh, Brandon says his final thought. Uh, we have we're going to have a huge quarterback carousel this offseason. Well, I always feel that way, and then it never happens. I, don't know. I mean, we I think we did this year. I mean, you know, we had a ton. I think Dak's going to move. I think Jimmy G's got, Jimmy G works in Texas too. In in Dallas, like bro, that would be a dope one. I know San Francisco sends Jimmy G in there first for Dak, and I think that gets it done. Yeah, well, I hope not because I, I think Jimmy. <laughs> I mean, we really didn't even talk about. It. I think. I mean, I think Bill would love to have him back. So, I mean, I do think that makes a ton of sense. I, I mean, I agree with Brandon. I think a lot of quarterbacks are going to move. Obviously, Mitchell Trubisky is going to move. Um, Carson Wentz is probably going to move. I don't know if they can move him, but uh, I think a lot of quarterbacks are going to be on the move this year. All right, and, and then there's four first rounders that I think have a chance to get taken. So. Well, again, thank you, Kevin Schwinnard, for coming on the show and doing a half-hour interview with us. Thank you to everybody who's listened. Thank you to Brandon for chiming in. We certainly appreciate the interaction all the time. And obviously, we want everyone to tune in Monday to get our kind of a news show, and then definitely Saturday for the mock draft show. Um, we're going to try to do it up as professionally as we can. So, yeah, it's uh, heavy. I've been working on it for a while now, so let's get it. Uh, you want to throw it to Kenny? Hey, yo, Kenny. It's over.